This episode is dedicated to Master Chief Ron Bellin, Reaper Zero One. Rest in peace, buddy. Doom. Go biggity plank, plank, plank. You can spill the Grand Canyon if they don't know about me. I know it all. All right, Leadheads, we are back with another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. This is episode 283, coming off our SHOT Show travels. And as you can tell, I've still got the SHOT Show crud. Trying to kick it here. I think I'm in my final stages of it. Uh, I wish I had the uh, the fortitude of our guest that we're going to have help us kick off this episode. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to talk to him at SHOT Show, so that's why we're bringing him on now. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our good buddy Rob Pincus. Hey, man. Sorry to hear you're, uh, you're still still suffering from your own human weakness. That's my theory on Shot Show Crud. It's just people that don't get out enough, people that don't like, you know, <laughs> constantly travel and live in airports and just, you know, nomad around. If you nomaded around more, you'd probably be fine like me. I get I get around quite a bit, but um, you know, I, I think it's poor poor planning on my part for Shot Show. I shook too many hands, gave too many kisses on the cheeks. I you don't even know how many kisses I got at Shot Show and I am still here healthily talking to you from sunny florida my friend that's right and one of those kisses was for me on that that beautiful bald head of yours and uh you were at the grand lux remember (laughs) yeah and you know know, the fact is that i didn't get you must not have been sick at that point or i actually have like an immune system one or the other because i'm still not sick so this is the first time i i got hit so 23 years no crud i'm probably gonna die next year at shot show 23 years (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Such thing as shot show crud, as far as I'm concerned. Well, you do get around a lot, and that's something. Uh, another reason why we have you on, because you and I have a big announcement that we're going to lay on the lead heads. Um, but first, but first, but first, uh, we want to get an update on the PD10. And you did a recent Instagram video, YouTube video, doing a comparison on that and another well-known firearm. Here's here's how the PD10 works. You go like you do, you do that, then you got that, and then it happens, and then it does that, and you do that again. Right. So right. pretty much racket and pull the trigger. Just for, for people, yeah, for people that are out there wanting to visualize that, that looked a lot like putting rounds in the chamber and pulling the trigger when there are no rounds in the chamber. And we've been doing that a lot actually with rounds in the chamber with the PD10. Now the one that I'm just sitting here playing with in front of this uh, non-video segment is PD00065. And we actually have gone up into the 80s now on our frames, and this is our second series of frames. We've, we've been working on this project for five years, really, um, four years in the public. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, when's this gun? Is it ever really going to be available? And the thing is, we chose uh, to, to share the entire process with everybody, literally from the napkin sketch moment, um, teasing what this was going to be, and then from the very first prototype shooters in 2016, letting people like experience this process, and and so people like some people are out there like, 
I already gave up on the gun. And, and I, every time I see that comment, I'm like, but you're still here. So the, <laughs> right. uh, You're still hanging on. And for those that don't know, Avidity Arms, the new company that we started up, um, Eagle Imports uh, is our, our financial backer, Mike Sedini and I, and our engineer, Brad Thomas, we've been working on this project now uh, for a while. And people, you know, you can go to the internet and see all kinds of videos of people shooting them and people handling. And we've had a couple different major changes uh, to the gun. Really, one major change last year that took a while but was entirely worth it in terms of the durability of the gun. We know the design works. We know the reliability is there. But what I was interested in was a longer lifespan uh, expected for the gun, so more durability. And that's uh, that's really what we focused on last year. So uh, I feel really, really good about the current version of the gun. And that gun is going for third party testing uh, starting uh, probably next week. And when that third party uh, engineering firm gets done with all the testing there for safety and reliability and really like slow motion, you know, close up photography, all that stuff to see where the wear and tear is on the gun. If that all goes well, we're going to be really, really close to releasing a, a production gun. So I'm excited about that. Very good. So sounds like you guys are making progress that we wanted to hear. And uh, for you guys who haven't seen the Avidity Arms PD-10 yet, go to, you go to Eagle Imports, there's a link there. You can go just directly to Avidity Arms website. You can go to Rob's social media, which is Pincus Rob. Is that right? Pink Rob's the Instagram and the Twitter. You can go to the YouTube channel. I mean, just, you know, if you can, if, if you can see video on the internet, you should be able to figure out how to find the PD-10 uh, PD10 video and and most recent videos I've been doing have been uh, comparing it to this Glock 48 that's come out. You know, right. everybody's no, I shouldn't say everybody's excited about it. Everybody who's been following the PD10 has been uh, interested in the fact that Glock came out with this 10 round single stack gun. Which honestly, you know, I I mean when I wrote the original article that before the Avidity Arms project was public, I wrote an article on my blog that talked about the perfect carry gun and sort of laid out what were what, what would come to be the specifications for the PD-10. I didn't tell people I was building the gun. But when I wrote out those specifications, I really was talking about a, a, a gun that's a single stack gun that you could put a full hand on. It had about a four inch barrel uh, that I thought would be great for defensive carry, right? It fills the hand, but it's still slim and comfortable to carry inside the waistband, 10 plus one round capacity. And, and a lot of weight out in front of the hand, not a three inch or a three and a half inch kind of subcompact gun, which can be a little snappy and a little hard for a lot of people to shoot fast, like like the Glock 43, for example. So uh, I've been waiting every NRA show, every NASGW and every shot show for the last four years. I've been waiting for Glock or Smith and Wesson or uh, Springfield Armory to beat us to the punch, so to speak, to, to release a full size single stack gun, a Glock 19 single stack or an M&P uh, single stack and finally Glock did and I'm glad they did it, it's a cool gun I was really excited about it I'm I'm even excited about the fact that you can put the 48 slide on a 43 frame and he's and holding have, that gun right now as he's talking yep, ladies and gentlemen holding that, talking I've got it in my hands because I was shooting it up against the PD 10 this morning so I'm kind of excited that it exists people I wrote an article as soon as it came out before I even shot it you know does the existence of the Glock 48 kill the PD 10 project well that's like telling every company but Colt not to make AR-15s, sure. like they just shouldn't have been in that business. Or if we want to go apples to apples, the M&P would not be a successful gun if Glock had cornered the market on double-stack polymer striker-frame guns to the to the exclusion of everybody else. So just because they came out with a single-stack gun, honestly, what I think happens is, you know, two months ago, lots and lots of people were saying, who would want a full-size single-stack? 
And now a lot of those people, because Glock has done it and because they're fans of Glock or because they respect Glock or because Glock doing it makes them rethink it. Well, there's probably 300,000 new customers thinking about single stack full size guns that didn't exist prior to the Glock 48 being released. And the Glock 48 is going to be six months or a year old by the time PD-10s hit the shelves. And, you know, once people are used to the idea of a full size single stack and then they get to really compare the PD-10 to the Glock 48, I think that Glock actually just created a whole bunch of new customers for us, quite frankly, because right. out for the Glock, you know, the, the PD-10s already contoured and stippled. It's, it comes with good metal sights already. Um, it comes with an accessory rail that Glock 48 doesn't have, and a lot of people want to put that white light or the laser or a laser light combo on their carry gun, even a single stack. Uh, it comes with, uh, you know, I think our trigger is definitely better. I think our slide stop is definitely better and more ergonomic. The, the grip is going to feel more comfortable, I think, in more people's hands. Uh, so while I'm excited about the Glock 48, and I might even carry the Glock 48, because of course the PD-10, you know, not being a production gun, it would be kind of foolish for me to carry one of those, no matter how good it is. Um, because it's not in production. Uh, I'm going to wait until it's in production and the production gun that's tested for it, for me to carry it before, you know, I want it to be at the level where I could recommend it to somebody else before I carry a prototype. So the Glock 48 might even be my carry gun. I mean, I like it that much, but it's also not even close to the level of, of, I think kind of special custom, what would be aftermarket type upgrades and treatment that we've done with the PD 10 and they're going to be very similar in price uh, when you see them sitting on the shelf. Okay, the that was shop. going to be my next question is, you know, how, how are these going to compare in price because of all the features you are yep. offering on these R and all the R&D that you've got behind it? Yeah, the MSRP on it is going to be four ninety nine. We've said that from the beginning. Uh, and that's, you know, with claw base plates, with the good Ameriglow claw metal sights, uh, the oversized uh, magazine release, the, the flared uh, slide stop, all that stuff. Uh, and it's going to come out the door, you know, like I said, 499 MSRP. So you can expect that it's going to be selling at the dealer shelves between four and 450. Uh, the Glock is, is going to be right around there as well. I mean, you may right. see it under 400 dollars a couple places, but as soon as you put a pair of $50 or $80 sights on it, you're right back into the price of the PD-10 with with what I think people are going to find to be a less comfortable gun uh, that that doesn't shoot as well for a lot of people, especially because of the grip angle and the and the trigger. Yeah, yeah, it's all good points. So. Do a do a quick. I know people can go and they can watch this, but just do give us a quick comparison of the what this has, what this doesn't have, uh, in detail. Uh, so, so there, the 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 grip on the PD10 is just a little bit longer. The slot, the slide on the Glock is just about exactly the same length as the PD10. Uh, it's a little bit longer in front of the hand by you know maybe like 0.15 of an inch or something like that. Uh, the grip angle and the bore axis, uh, the grip angle is, is straighter with the Glock. It's, uh, whereas this, the PD 10 has more of a CZ or a Browning high power kind of contour, like a Caracol or a, uh, Steyr M model. The, uh, the bore axis is lower on the PD 10. The, uh, PD 10 has an accessory rail. The Glock doesn't, uh, the triggers are, are different. If you're used to a Glock trigger, well, great. That's what the, the, uh, Glock 48 obviously has. It's the same as every other Glock trigger, pretty much. The PD-10 has a little different trigger. It's a shorter, crisper reset, and it's a smoother, long trigger pull for that first shot. So when I say long, when I, if, it kind of scares some people off if I say it's like a double-action, single-action effect. But really, because the reset is so short and crisp, that first pull uh, seems a little bit longer because it's under constant weight. It's not like some of the other striker guns where there's like nothing. It's almost like a two-stage trigger where you, you prep the trigger, and then you're at that reset point, and you take the shot. Right. So it's got a use trigger that I think is better. 
Um, it's got the stippling again, the contouring and the texturing. It's got the oversized uh, magazine release, which is similar to the, the, the Glock 48 has the Gen 4 type magazine release. So it's a little bit bigger. Um, I think that the uh, grip, again, the grip angle, I think a lot more, a lot of people are going to like the PD-10 grip angle more. And, uh, and then we have more aggressive serrations and more serrations behind the ejection port on the slide. But the Glock does have front serrations, which I don't recommend people use. So obviously they're not on the gun that I designed. I think, mm -hmm. I think those are probably the major differences. Um, and again, the market will, will tell us whether or not people like the PD-10. We're never going to sell as many guns as Glock just because Glock, right? Yeah, they're but Glock, I'm, yeah. People go head to head. Uh, I think enough people are going to like the PD-10 to make me happy and to make Avidity Arms happy and, and for the right reasons, uh, not just branding or not just, well, I, I think Rob's, you know, funny on YouTube or something, but because it's a well-designed <laughs> gun, because it's going to shoot well for people. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, you guys go check those out uh, on uh, all the social media, all the websites that we just uh, talked about. Uh, and then that Instagram uh, comparison, you've got that video. This is a little quick one that you did. Is there a longer one on YouTube? Yes. Yeah, there's a longer okay. one at YouTube, uh, and there's also, you can obviously see that at the Video Arms Facebook page, uh, linked as well. Okay. And uh, as I teased earlier, we, Rob and I have a big announcement for you leadheads. Uh, if you caught our live uh, IG that we did a couple of days ago, uh, you already know what it is. Uh, but for you that, uh, that didn't, we're going to hit you with that. Before we do that, we got to thank our sponsors, Rob. Uh, right on Optics. Make sure you guys go check out Right on Optics at RightOnOptics.com, the official optics of Talking Lead. Modern Spartan Systems for all your gun cleaning and uh, lube needs. Check out ModernSpartanSystems.com. And Keltec Weapons. Uh, we had Chad on a few episodes ago. Uh, didn't get to get a, get them on like we did, Rob. Uh, we were very busy, so we're going to have them on to talk about some some more new things that they've got coming out. KeltechWeapons.com, uh, and then of course X Steel Targets, Rob. X Steel Targets. Everybody loves shooting AR five hundred steel targets. Yes. And X Steel Targets has the best, most affordable AR five hundred steel targets on the market today. Check them out, XSteelTargets.com. Uh, and then, of course, our big sponsors at SHOT Show this year, Buck Knives. Uh, lots and lots coming from Buck Knives. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to cut in an interview right now that we did with Commander Tom Coulter. He serves 27 years with the SEAL teams and is considered one of the world's leading technology security experts. Uh, he retired as Chief of Staff, Naval Special Warfare Group 2, the East Coast Command for SEAL Teams 2, 4, 8, and 10, and started the high-tech procurement arm for Naval Special Warfare, Rob. That's pretty cool. He, uh, his other postings also included commanding officer for SEAL Team 3 in Southwest Asia. He was also involved in the training of more than 7,000 foreign special forces operators, and more than 70% of today's top SEAL team commanders. So this guy is an icon in our military with the Navy, with the Navy SEALs in particular. And this is a great interview. He doesn't do these interviews. Uh, I think this might be like the first one he's ever done. But he also, you know, the tie-in with Buck Knives, Rob, is that he developed the Buckmaster knife. You remember the Buckmaster knife? That is a, a bad tool right there. Yes. Which makes that, that a guy like that would be the one who designed something like that. Right. And he gets into talking about the uh, some of the functionality and design ideas that he had for that knife, which is going to lead up to another interview that we're going to have in uh, another episode uh, in the future where we actually talk about the history of the Buckmaster knife 
with him. But C.J. Buck is joining me on this interview with Commander Tom Coulter. So let's cut into that, and then Rob and I are going to come back and hit you guys with the awesome news. Ooh, I like that background noise. Yeah, we're out at the range. Hey, ask me what I'm excited about with Riton Optics, too. Okay, I will do that when we come back. All right, guys, we are back at the 2019 SHOT Show. And, of course, as you know by now, the official lead quarters is Buck Knives. And joining me again, we have none other than C.J. Buck. C.J. Yep, good to be here. Good to be back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we've been cranking out the interviews. And this is just day one. And we've, we've still got how many more days? Like uh, it runs 20, all the way through Friday. Like so yeah, we got, more days or we've got three more days. <laughs> three full more days. Action-packed. Action-packedness. And uh, this one is not going to be short of action. We have with us, you want to introduce our guests? This is Commander Tom Coulter, a very good friend and probably has forgotten more than most of us will ever know about the history of SEAL Team and Spec Ops Warfare and modern development of tactics and just and impressive as you can imagine with that. yeah so tom welcome in thank you very much so uh tom i mean there's so many questions that uh, i probably want to ask you but uh let's just start off with just a little bit of background about yourself for our listeners well i've been retired from the navy since 92 but prior to that i was both enlisted and commissioned uh, seal team and underwater demolition team so throughout the years i've had a variety of assignments uh, from Underwater Demolition Team 21 to SEAL Team 1, 3, 6, Groups 1 and 2, and I've spent a good bit of time both on the East Coast and the West Coast. There you go. So, uh, and we were talking about this a little bit off air, and, and we want to find out more about you, but I w- this is like a question that I know a lot of our leadheads have, and when they hear SEAL Team 2, SEAL Team 6, the East Coast, West Coast, what does all that mean? Well, originally it started out as that SEAL Team 1 was on the West Coast because odd number of teams are on the West Coast, even number of teams are on the East Coast. SEAL Team 2 was on the East Coast. SEAL Team 1 out of Coronado, SEAL Team 2 out of Little Creek, Virginia. At that time, in in the early and and mid-60s, they were supplemented and worked with Underwater Demolition Team 11 and 12 on the West Coast, and eventually 13, and 21 and 22 on the East Coast. Okay. So, over the times, the underwater demolition teams have been replaced, and now there are a variety of SEAL teams. So, on the West Coast, there's SEAL Team 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9, and SDV Team 1. SDV Team is SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 1. On the East Coast, it's 2, 4, 6, 8, and 10. Six being a bit of an anomaly. Okay. And you hear a lot about six. Well, you hear in, a lot about six, but the bread and butter work that SEALs do is done by the SEAL teams, both on the East Coast and the West Coast. And I've been fortunate enough to serve on both coasts and have an appreciation of the same. Right. Now, you said you started in 62? No, in 66. 66. Mm-hmm. Okay. I went through training in. Uh, 67. Uh, originally, I would join the CBs as an enlisted man. CBs, yeah. And interestingly enough, the first combat demolition unit selectees were taken out of the CBs in 1942. Okay. In 43, 
and trained in Fort Pierce, Florida. And right now, to represent that, there's a museum in Fort Pierce, the UDT SEAL National Museum. And at the front entrance, there's the Naked Warrior, which is a six-foot bronze statue which typifies the combat swimmer of World War II. He's equipped with a pair of khaki swim trunks, fins, a face mask, and a knife on his side. And that's exactly how they went into the beaches in Normandy and all over the Pacific. That was it. That's, that's all they that's had. That's the Naked Warrior. So they now have statues representing the Naked Warrior in both Fort Pierce, in Coronado, in Bell's Beach in Hawaii, and just recently we have one in Virginia Beach. Oh, nice. So, that makes sense they would have one there. So they have, in basically the historic training sites in World War II, Hawaii and Fort Pierce, there's representation as well as the present in both Virginia Beach and Coronado, there's representation. So through your years of service and, you know, with the SEAL team, the development that you saw, you know, from start to to where they are now, talk about that. The development has has been nothing short of of, uh, fantastic. The SEAL today is different than the SEAL of 40 years ago. Right. And even 20 years ago. And the difference today is they are trained mission focus. When I went through training, I went through training in 1967 to the same training that people had been doing since World War II. It was about hydrographic reconnaissance. It was about going into the hinterland to secure certain positions. But SEAL Team expanded that. But the training didn't expand until after it was consolidated all to the West Coast. Initially, they were training done on the East Coast, of which I'm a candidate and and graduate, Mm -hmm. as well as training on the West Coast. The training on the East Coast was a little bit more convoluted because your basic training would be done at Little Creek and uh, Puerto Rico, then supplemented by diving training in Key West, Florida for the underwater swimmer school. Okay. And then jump school at Fort Benning, Georgia. The West Coast was was more consolidated, so you went through all three phases, preparation, land warfare, diving. So you got all of your training centrally located in Coronado, and then you went to Fort Benning for jump school. Okay. So there was a different way. Well, that all was consolidated, and now all training is conducting out in Coronado. East Coast and West Coast. Yep. It's well, after it. you graduate in the, in, the, in the now, a person that graduates from training is a full-fledged SEAL. When I graduated from training, you had a six-month probationary period. You were assigned to a platoon. You made a deployment. And if you passed muster, you were presented with your trident. Right. Uh, now, the training has gone from six months to two years. So wow. when you difference. Yeah. when you come out of training today, you are able to go right into an operational platoon and deploy. There's no additional preparation, no additional training. They've been through SEAL advanced training. They've been through all of the specialty training. So a person who graduates today can go right into any SEAL team. And that's two years of training. Wow. 
I didn't realize that they, they went through that much. It's know. extensive. Yeah, very extensive. Now, and, and these come from the cream of the crop from the other, other, other branches of our service. No, the SEALs are, are somewhat different. If you're, okay. looking, if you're looking at Special Forces or you're looking at Delta, mm -hmm. the Army selects pretty much from, if you, if you want to go to Special Forces and you happen to be an armorer, or you want to be an infantryman or whatever, you can go. Mm -hmm. SEAL team, they start right from boot camp. Oh, really? You go through pre-selection, okay. and once you are selected and you go through a series for enlisted men, there's now a SEAL rating, a special ops rating. When I enlisted, I was a builder, and I was supported by machinist mates, Boiler techs, torpedo men, quartermasters, anybody who wanted to volunteer. But once you got in the pipeline, you were a SEAL. You were designated 5321 or 5326 for your designated. Right. Now there's a special operations pay grade, and there there has been a commissioning, 1130 commissioning, for an extended period of time. But once you're in the pipeline, you are in the pipeline. So for an officer, if he becomes an ensign, goes through, gets his trident, presses on, he'll go through a series of screening, an ops officer for a SEAL team, an executive officer for a SEAL team, a commanding officer for a SEAL team, and they prune away. In other words, you have to screen for these positions. Right. Okay. Well, as well I, as the I learned people. something there, yeah. yeah. I, I, didn't realize I learn something every time we, <laughs> we talk. As well as the enlisted. The enlisted have a pipeline also. For them to get promoted, they have to do, they have to qualify in certain aspects. They have to have certain deployments, and within the deployment, they have to have certain jobs and responsibilities. Sure. They have to demonstrate leadership, and leadership demonstration and performance is rewarded with promotion, advancement into more specialized positions. Gotcha. So um, now that we got all the, the the teams and the West Coast, East Coast cleared up. Uh, which was your favorite? Well, there is, there is no favorite. Yeah. When I was enlisted, I was, you know, my objective was to, you know, go to an operational platoon and deploy. Once I deployed, I realized that I might be able to do more for the enlisted men if I went and got a commission, which I did. And most of the officers in SEAL team are specialized and they'll come out of various pipelines. Mm -hmm. The ex-enlisted officer, or the Mustang, was sort of a rarity back when I was in there. Yeah. Um, but the, the Mustang SEAL officers have, have all done relatively well. The, there is no favorite. In other words, I enjoyed my time in Underwater Demolition Team 21 when I was a platoon commander for the SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team. Mm -hmm. I was... I was couldn't have been happier when I was a platoon commander in SEAL Team 1. You know, I enjoyed favorite being... favorite was the whatever you're doing at the time was your favorite. The yeah. favorite is whatever you're doing at the time. Yeah. And and to do that well, that's that's what's important. Yeah. Now, did you do any of the uh, vehicle? Well, the SEAL delivery vehicles, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, when I went back to UDT 21, I was there as an enlisted man in, in uh, the 2nd platoon. But when I went back, I became the officer in charge of the SEAL Delivery Vehicle Platoon, which eventually morphed into 
SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 2 when they converted Underwater Demolition Team 22 to SDV Team 2. Okay. So I qualified in the Mark 7, Mod 6, in the Mark 9, and the Mark 8. And for our lay people, what are those? These are free-flooding wet submersibles. Okay. They take a number of combat swimmers, and they're on some form of rebreather, scuba, or closed circuit, and they're transported from perhaps a submarine submerged to a beach or to an attack in a whatever they're however right. they're inserted. However they need to get to the destination. However they need it's a it's a form of, of how to ingress, you know, yeah. how to how to deliver clandestinely and, and covertly uh, combat swimmers and others to uh, to conduct their missions. Can you talk about maybe one of the more challenging uh, I don't want you to talk about the mission or anything like that, but just uh, getting to the destination. Well, getting to the destination is all about getting to the destination ready to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, when you insert, you, you don't want to insert by parachute if it's going to take you six hours to get everybody assembled. Uh, you want to be able to insert to your target area, and you want to be prepared to fight when you get there because you might be fighting as soon as you touch down. Therefore, the insertion method is critical. And if you know you're going to insert a certain way, it behooves you to rehearse that as much as possible, whether it's inserted by a sealed delivery vehicle, by a dry deck shelter, by a, you know, by a mail truck, it doesn't matter. <laughs> You've got to rehearse how you're going to get there yeah. and what you're going to do when you get there. So the insertion portion is a critical aspect. Absolutely. The mission yeah. is going to change. The mission never goes as planned. It never goes as planned. You sit down and you plan the mission and you what if it, and you bird aboard it, and you do all these things. And almost a certainty is a very short period of time, after you insert, you'll find out that the intelligence is incorrect, one of your people inadvertently injured yeah the rendezvous the the rendezvous point it wasn't where it's supposed to be your insertion point is off so you've got to get to the rendezvous point something will challenge you and that's one of the great things about seal team is that everybody is trained to adapt and to think on their feet whether you happen to be if you happen to be a second class petty officer just graduating from training and just got your trident you're able to adapt, and you're able to think on your feet, and you're able to react. So you personally, can you can you recall one of your more challenging insertions? Well, before it was decommissioned, the West Coast SEALs were fortunate enough to have a submarine dedicated to them called the Grayback. And the Grayback was a converted diesel boat submarine with two Regulus missile chambers on the deck. So you could lock 20 people out of each one of the chambers. One of our operations, we operated a SEAL platoon, locked them out, locked out a UDT platoon that was uh, headed by Joe Schwartzel. There was no scuba gear. You locked out 
You did a free ascent. We ran the mission. We came back to the rendezvous. Oh we recovered by the submarine <laughs> and free dove down to the Grayback. With no scuba gear. With no scuba gear and wow. recovered. And that op was probably 36 people. Wow. And to have no one injured and to launch everybody and recover everybody is pretty unprecedented. So Very going, challenging. Going out of those torpedo tubes is not a myth. It's not a torpedo tube. Well, It's basically yeah. a clamshell. Clamshell. It's, what happens is it's just like a lockout chamber, except it's a big lockout chamber. Gotcha. They'll flood it. They'll vent it. They'll open the clamshell, and you will swim up. Swim out. So there's no uh, assist push or anything like nope. that that you're getting. Nope. <laughs> nope. And generally, the depth is about, the lockout depth is, your, your, your free ascent is about 30 feet. And how long does that usually take? Not as long as you think. <laughs> the, whole, the whole question with free ascent is, because you're breathing compressed air, you have to exhale all of your compressed air before you conduct the ascent so you don't injure yourself. So the other thing, of course, is the free ascent is easy. Yeah. The free descent is a teeny bit more challenging. A little bit more, huh? And it's probably not during the daylight hours. No. And it's after you've been doing your other mission. Yeah. Well, it's after, after being on doing whatever you're doing for six hours. Right. And after swimming into the beach, which might have been 2,000 yards, and swimming back out to the rally point, which might have been another 2,000 yards. So you might have already swam five or 6,000 yards conduct the mission and then recover and that one in particular with 36 yeah and there was and wow. it's and it's challenging because you have to assume with that many people something's going to go wrong yes yeah, you know given. just getting just getting everybody just getting a head count at night you know on the surface after you've recovered everybody and then after the free descent so you have to you have to delegate this responsibility to various elements to make sure that they're responsible for four or six people. Mm -hmm. And then they'll report up the line so that you know, I mean, I can't go out and count 36 people, but I can, you know, I can count four and four and eight, you know, I can I can assimilate that we've got everybody. Yeah. So recovering those people from that kind of a launch and recovery. It's huge. Was, uh, was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> So another question I've got, uh, as far as uh, the equipment, you know, the Special Forces SEALs are always known to get, before anybody, you know, the latest, greatest, uh, head of the technology curve. What's what's something that you used that you see just in everyday use these days that at the time nobody, you know, well, futuristic kind of stuff? The question that you have to ask is, the kit that you select for the mission is what is what drives the mission. In other words, if we're doing a waterborne mission, you have to have certain skills and you have to have certain equipment. You have to, you know, you're going to take your weapon in, and that weapon might be an M4 or it might be a an MP5. You're going to have an edged weapon. You're going to have a backup weapon, a Sig or a Beretta or something. Right. And then you have to have whatever it takes to conduct your mission. If it's explosives, if you're going to do breaching, if you're going to have to have a sniper, all of these specialized weapons. The things that separate the special operators are not only that they have good equipment, but they have good communications. Commanders in the field want to be able to communicate instructions. And the things that 
that were the real good advantage for SEALs and special operations in general is when they improved communications so that they could relay changes as necessary. You know, during Desert One and all the other sort of catastrophic problems, there was always a communications issue. Yeah. The wrong radio, the wrong frequency, the wrong codes. So once, once you are able to communicate, now command can follow an execution checklist of a series of events that you'll pass a pro word that will allow headquarters to know what's going on. Second, after communications, you have to have the ability to identify your target. Hence the improvements in night vision and other things, thermal vision, you know, the ability to recognize the target area when you get there. Satellite nav is another thing that I've seen that has, has greatly enhanced, you know, satellite navigation yeah. is the difference between success and failure. It's also the difference between you finding Dunkin' Donuts and not <laughs> finding Dunkin' Donuts. So if you're going to find something that's common ground... I mean, you can use it, even use, I mean, nowadays, to find this booth. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, you use sat-nav for that. Yep. So there's, there's certainly things that have been developed for the military that have matriculated down to support, you know, the civilian hunter or the civilian woodsman mm -hmm. or the civilian whatever, whoever they Driver. are. Driver. Yeah. So or even in dogs, they put those chips in dogs now. Yep. You can find your lost yep. dog bus. Exactly. <laughs> and fortunately, a lot of what has transpired in the military has also been now embedded in first responders. True. And yeah. law enforcement. So the enhancements that have been made in the military have also, you know, they have transcended the military and are now involved with law enforcement. And more importantly, first responders who are overworked and underappreciated. Absolutely. So whatever you can Amen. do to give them an advantage, you know, that's what you give By them. By all means, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Budgets be damned. You know? Yes, sir. Because <laughs> <laughs> lives are on the line. So what are you what are you doing these days, Tom? Uh, today I'm here at the bequest of CJ. I have a long standing relationship with Buck and, and uh, when invited I, I took advantage of it and today I have uh, I'm a security consultant and a casual employee to to a company as well as uh, an advisor to a couple of other companies uh, I have my own you know security management company I did risk management and security assessments for a lot of years generally working with Department of Energy and Department of Homeland Security, securing high-activity radiological sources all over the world. So I've stayed busy. I'm thinking of a question for that, yeah, because I mean, that's broad, that's very broad. And I'm, I'm sure you were being broad for a reason. I yep. mean, you can't get into to talking about that kind of stuff. So, um, But you did share something off air before we got on air. Your son is a leadhead. My, and I was, my son, uh, when I surprised when, to hear that <laughs> when when cj said well you know if you're interested there may be the opportunity to be on a podcast and of course me living my life in the information cul-de-sac i said a podcast what's and a podcast a podcast <laughs> okay so i called my son and i said hey this is uh this is a, he says let talk i said yeah he said, yeah 
Yeah, do tells it. it to it all the time. Lefty. Yeah, he do says, it, baby. He said, <laughs> he said they're great. He said, uh, he says, be sure that you uh, tell him about your grandson's mini K-bar knife. And uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll mention that he has one. I won't necessarily <laughs> mention where he got it from. <laughs> but... But, uh, that was a good story, though. Yeah. I think you should tell that. Is that one you could share to, to the Leadhead Brigade? Well, when my son, Jeff, and, and the family went out to visit my friend in Montana, Gary Stubblefield, Jeff asked him, he says, you know, Gary noticed that Jeff was carrying a knife and Robbie was carrying a knife. And Jeff says to him, Mr. Stubblefield, how come you don't have a knife? He says, well, I was always with your dad, and he always had a knife. <laughs> Didn't he, need one. he recognized Robbie's knife and he says, and I know exactly where that young man got that knife. And Jeff goes, really? Because Jeff did. Right. Yeah, it was in Chinhae, Korea, where he uh, he came upon an opportunity to come across a couple of mini K-bars. <laughs> and your dad, they were just lying around. And your dad just <laughs> took advantage of it. <laughs> so, uh, so my son had mentioned that there was a a contributor to your show who who often talks about he found things as they fell off a truck at the back of a truck. <laughs> I said, uh, well, I'll let them know that they fell off of the back of a truck at Roxbury. So, uh, that's yeah. funny. That's a good, good story. So I, I assume you've got lots of grandchildren? I have a granddaughter and a grandson. Okay. I have a son and a daughter. And uh, keep things simple. Keep it simple. There you go. Or CJ, or you're running around with what eight now? Oh, I have eight, nine, ten, two, twelve, two, two new ones. Two new ones yesterday. Yes, congratulations! So I got texted grandpa. pictures yesterday. Texted pictures yesterday. Proud grandpa. Yeah, back in Minneapolis. Now, do they call you grandpa or what do they call you? Uh, grandpa. I know those two aren't going to call you anything yet, but <laughs> yeah, Grandpa CJ is. Uh, grandpa is what CJ. my ten-year-old grandson calls me. Yeah, that's hip. Yep. You're trying to be hip. Yeah, we we do what we can. What's your moniker? What do your grandchildren call you? Uh, Grandpa Tom. Grandpa, there you go. There we go. Just keep it as simple, like you said. Hey, I'm in good company. I feel in good company. You can tell he's a silly. Just keep it simple. <laughs> keep yeah. it simple. Yeah. The old kiss principle. Yeah, if you uh, if you don't keep it simple, it gets complicated very quickly. <laughs> that that is very true. Good. That is very true. So uh, now now maybe off. Did you write a book? Are you an author? No, okay. I will be the one seal that you will meet in your life that will never write a book. Okay. Just there no are, desire? You know... you got some great stories. It, it, SEAL Team, to some extent, is considered terminal boredom interrupted by moments of stark terror. So, you know, the only thing people want to hear is about stark terror. Mm-hmm. When the SEALs make their money in preparation, in training, in doing the things repeatedly, so then when called upon they're able to perform to the level that's necessary for a successful mission. That's what SEALs do. They're about preparation and they're about focus. So when called upon, they're able to do what required to do and able to do it better than anybody else. There you go. So I want to talk, uh, should I hear with the new guy questions? Sure. You think? Okay. So we've got a lot of questions that we have for our new guest on the show. Okay. And you are a new guy. It's the first time on the show. Hopefully not the last, because this, this has been a blast. And I know we probably could do this for like two hours, but uh, I know you got things you got to do. But um, what's your earliest recollection of, of going out and shooting using a real firearm? I mean, it could be a BB gun, too. 
you know, we would go down to the dump and shoot water rats when I was growing up. And, and where is this at? Well, I, I was born in Boston, raised in Roxbury and Braintree. And uh, the reason that I don't have a Boston accent is because when I went to boot camp, I was the only one not from Bent Trash Can Lid, Louisiana. So it, it helped that you lost your Boston accent quickly. Right, so you didn't get picked on? Well, you stand out as a target. Right? As, as I learned from my father a long time ago, best not to draw attention to yourself if not necessary. There you so. go. So, but, what were you using to shoot those sewer rats? Well, both a BB gun and a 22. BB gun and 22. Yeah. The 22 is a lot more effective. Do you still have that 22? No, no. Okay. I replaced it with a bolt gun. Mm -hmm. And uh, progressed uh, a, a bolt 22, which you know, more accurate piece. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, you know, my motto is: you can't have too many guns or knives. That's a good motto. Amen. To have. Amen on that one. I like that. I like that. What about your first knife? You remember your first knife? I do. I remember my first knife. My mother bought it me. It was a Boy Scout knife, and I probably wasn't 10. And yes, I still have that. Oh, that's awesome. Um, is, it, is it a BSA? It's got the BSA Boy Scout on there. It has the bone handle BSA nice. on there. The, the first, and I've had knives and been drawn to knives. The first buck knife I had was a 110 that I bought in 1967 when I went to UDT training. Wow. And I bought another 110 in 1972 when I got my commission. I gave... Treated yourself. I did. I gave the one I bought in 67 to a friend of mine who went to Vietnam. He didn't have a knife. And I said, well, take mine. Take it. Yeah. You, know, you need a knife. I still have the one in 72. Now, are you into uh, to handguns? Do you carry? Are you I carry a Wilson officer's model. Uh, I probably have 12 or 15 1911s. I have a variety of guns. Yeah, like, like I said, you, you said, can't you have, can't too, have many too many. Can't have too many. Uh, I have some very, very nice guns, but I, I'm prone to 1911s. Okay. I like 1911s. So being in the SEAL teams, you had access to the most modern yep. weapons, you know, on, on the face of the earth. What's one of the most memorable, I guess, that you use, whether whatever it may be? I mean, it doesn't have to be a gun. It, or the weapon that I would carry in the latter part of UDT and SEAL team was a car, which is the small Colt automatic rifle, and on the bottom of it. I would have a 203 grenade launcher. And I felt that was necessary in, in not only to both identify a target, mm -hmm. but you know there are, are flares and there are other smoke and there are other sure. things that a grenade launcher is good for, 40 millimeter grenade launcher. So that's what I carry. And if you're interested in an anecdotal story, absolutely, I will give you one. Yes, please. <laughs> I was involved with the recovery of the Mayaguez in 1975 as a SEAL platoon commander. They didn't want to send the SEALs in and eventually sent in Marines. When I was brought before Admiral Coogan to give him a briefing, he wanted me to go in unarmed to 
bring back some of the uh, some of the uh, marine bodies that were left behind. And I said, well, Admiral, I have room for the front of the boat for you if you want to come in on our. <laughs> Their idea was to, you know, wave a white flag and we just go in and pick up the bodies. Right. Thinking not going okay. to happen. Yeah. So he says, uh, well, if you carry a weapon in, what are you going to take? And I said, well, I'm going to take my car with a 203. And he looked at me and he folded his arms and he says, how in the hell do you expect to get a car up on the beach? And I said, Admiral, we're not talking about 53 DeSoto. We're talking about a Colt automatic rifle. Bless his heart. That's good. So that was your, your go-to. That's your well, that's, preferred. That's the back. one that I preferred. And when I was affiliated with SEAL Team 6, that transcended into an MP5 mm-hmm. and a Beretta. Because sure. that's what they carry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next question. Uh, back the next, the next new question. guy question is. Next new guy question is. Uh, obviously, you've got uh, the military background, and we've gone into that. So that was this question number two. Number three is, uh, when it comes to pop culture, movies, TV shows, books, magazines, whatever it may be, what is your like go-to that's like your comfort? I have probably asked you the wrong way, but it's just something that you feel good about watching or reading or going to. Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. What? <laughs> you that's ask, out of the blue, right? <laughs> you ask. Com- completely that's what, that's what it is. Unexpected. See, we bring interesting guests, don't we? We don't do. We, we yeah. do. And we're tying in the music in. You, mm-hmm. know, again, with, you uh, said, you said, when you want to relax, yeah, what's your go-to? What do you do? That's it. That's what I do. Now, what's your, what's your favorite movie? What's your go-to movie? You know... There's lots of them. There's lots, yeah. And I don't really have a favorite movie, but, you know, movies like The Eagle Has Landed, The Longest Day, mm-hmm. movies that I can relate to. Uh, I, like I more of the watching. action, adventure, yeah, I, I don't, error movies. I don't watch, and I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm not a chick flick guy. I haven't... <laughs> no, she knows I do not like chick flicks. But... Not my, uh, not my forte. Uh, action movies are, are something I prefer. Uh, you know, music, you've already got a yep. handle on that. Yep. Uh, I do a lot of reading, and, and uh, I have a variety of authors that I read. Uh, fiction, nonfiction? You know, a little of both? Yeah, a little of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read all the Jack Reacher stuff, Lee Childs, I, lots of them. Right. And, and and I enjoy it, you know, something you can pick up and read right away. Yeah. What is your what's your hobby? What uh, do you enjoy just doing. Well, I I shoot. Okay. Perfect. Uh, and answer. I play bridge. Bridge. Okay. And I jump on my uh, Harley Switchback. I'll be going up to Bike Week next in March. Okay. So uh, so I have my bike. I play bridge. I, if you put down all hobbies, you all would not hobbies. link me with any of them. But I do play bridge. <laughs> I ride my I would, bike. I wouldn't have guessed bridge. Nope. I wouldn't have guessed the bike. But I would have guessed the shooting. Yep. I would have mm-hmm. guessed that, definitely. So that's really what I do. And, and uh, you know, I, I reside in Vero Beach, Florida. This is like the fourth day in three years I've had long trousers on. 
because I'm, well, I mean it's it's like six below here for you, right? Oh no, that's why I have a jacket. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have a jacket. I have a skull cap. I have as much protection, gloves, everything. You know, and it's warm here. Compared Where, to is there a good range at Vero Beach? That there's an outdoor range. We got it, listeners down there. Yeah, we, there's an outdoor range, uh, which I prefer shooting at. Uh, in right adjacent to Barrow Beach. Okay. Uh, just off of 95 on exit probably 156. Uh, and it's between Felsmere and uh, Sebastian. Okay. So you get off of good that Good range road. there. It's a pretty good range. They're, they're, okay. The reason I like it is they're strict. I had, uh, I was the owner of the Marksman Pistol Institute in Tucson, Arizona for about 10 years and taught a lot of concealed carry weapons. It was a NRA instructor. So I appreciate how dangerous a range can be when it's improperly handled. Yeah. And the one in Sebastian is, is properly run and it's it's taken care of uh, and maintained well. Okay. Because the last thing, you know, people start talking about accidental discharges. There are no such things as accidental discharges. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier, yeah. They're all negligent. Absolutely. And when someone claims an accidental discharge, I have a problem with that. So, hey, Tom, when you were in full, or you and your guys in full training mode, how much do you shoot? Well, it depends on the command you're at. But if you happen to be standby, ready to mount out on short notice, you could shoot as much as 1,000 rounds a day. Just to stay in, in condition. But I'm telling you what, after shooting 1,000 rounds a day for 30 days, you get to be a pretty good shot. <laughs> Yeah, this is yes. muscle reflex at that point, right? When I was the executive off, yeah, when I was the executive officer for SEAL Team Six, the nine miller allocation for SEAL Team Six at the time was greater than that for the United States Marine Corps. That's amazing. Wow. That's amazing. So that's a lot of rounds. That is a lot of rounds. So when it comes to your bucket list, gotta have, wanna have next, whether it's a piece of kit, firearm, knife, maybe a vehicle or something. What's your What's on your radar? Well, if someone said, I have a notional car collection. In other words, a notional car collection means I have a, a garage full of cars with pictures that I've captured that I can refer to. Yeah. But if I was going to pick a vehicle, and, and my granddaughter just asked me that, I'd pick a 1971 Boss 351 Mustang. Muscle. Mm. That would be my vehicle. Going to burn some rubber. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, those are beautiful vehicles. They definitely. are. My, my my vehicle, all my vehicles are white and all my motorcycles are black. Now, is there so, a reason for that? Well, the vehicles is easy. I live in Florida. Okay. So cooler. Keep some cooler. Yeah. But uh, I've always had black motorcycles. And my sport parachutes were always black. Jumpsuits were always black. I got you. So... Yeah, they, I bet you it's some of that. Uh, it's some of that seal training where between the Mustang and the Harley, it's the window rattling entrance that's uh, needed. Yeah, presentation is everything. It's everything. That's right. How you arrive? Yeah. If uh, laws be damned, money be damned, you could do, go, have anything. What? What will be like? Well, you, you could have the unattainable. What would it be? You know. Actually, I'm pretty happy with where I am in life right now. And sometimes, better is the enemy of good enough. When you start going out seeking to get the very best of something that you've envied for a long time, you're oftentimes disappointed when you get your hands on it. It's true. 
it doesn't necessarily measure up to what you thought it was going to be. So I don't, you know, if I see something I want to do, I do it. I don't get a bucket list. I don't say, you know what I think I'll do right. in three years? I just go just do, do it. it. You know, I want to go to Bike Week, I'm going You're to Bike Week. be there. You know, <laughs> if I want to go to the Rolling Stones concert, I get a ticket and go. So you just do it instead of talking about it. I, I prefer just, doing it. He just gave up something else, Rolling Stones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's into the Stones, baby. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And, and people who know me know that. Right. So it's easy. All right. Last question. It's be easy. And if you want to, if something comes to your mind, you want to ask, ask a question. Okay. If you could spend the day at the range with any one person or any group of people, whether real, fictional, historical. You know, I'd like to spend the range, a day at the range with my family because... Right on. Because, you know, another small anecdotal story to finish this up. CJ and I, our last meeting, happened to be at a shoot just south of LA where we were on a bird hunt and we were walking in a straight line with dogs flushing out birds that was fun there were eight shooters on the line all of them I knew all of them were good shooters people you enjoyed being around yeah. CJ actually uh, did well knocked down birds you know uh, most importantly, he didn't shoot me, and I was standing right next to him. <laughs> which I, it's really important. Which I, <laughs> yeah. which I paid very close attention to. That's but, like the ultimate goal. And yeah. But, not to get shot. You know, the last time my uh, my family was down, we went out to the Sebastian Range mm-hmm. and shot. Um, and out there, you can shoot whatever you want to shoot. You can, you know, you can shoot if you want fully automatic. You know, I, I had a uh, Model 94 H and K. They, we went out. That, that was, a, you know, oh, it's awesome. Yeah, my daughter-in-law Jeanette, she brought her weapons. My son brought all of his weapons. You know, so we went out and shot. Just had a day of it. Plus, yeah. you know, plus had the grandkids there, and you know, taught them how to shoot properly. When Passing when my when yeah. my daughter and son were being raised, there were lots of guns in the house, but there were no toy guns. There were no Nerf guns. There were no dart guns. Every gun in the house was real. So they never, for a second, assumed that guns were toys, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's something that I've uh, steadfastly su- supported all my life. And they knew enough when they brought friends over that they would never discuss guns. Right. So they would see a gun in the house; it wasn't a big deal. The gun they knew, all guns are always loaded all the time. Exactly. You know, there's no such thing as an unloaded unloaded gun. That's called a hammer. You know. <laughs> so if you assume that all guns are always loaded all the time. And you, you're taught safety from the very early age, you hardly ever have a problem. It's, it's all about education, you know. Absolutely. That, that's where it, and, it, and it falls to the the parents, the older generation to teach the younger generation. It falls to it falls to the parents, but sometimes parents are not capable of communicating yeah. that kind of training. So therefore you have the NRA and Eddie Eagle, you know, that's important. So you, you the training is essential, but there needs to be a differentiator between this is a gun. And that's a toy. Yeah. And they should never be confused. Absolutely. Amen. And that is a great story to end on. But I, ha- I, have, I have to say this. I know you're completely against a book, you know, doing a book. It doesn't have to be about your SEAL days. 
I mean, you've got just wisdom. You know, you've got you've got you've got great knowledge there of just the world and how you should live, and you know how, how to just day by day be a good person. It sounds like so. I think you know just doing a book on that in and of itself would be great. Noted. Noted. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Chucked. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to get into the deal, but maybe a movie. I don't know. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing, doing with the people I, well, I do it with. Maybe we can get you back on the podcast again. I'll that be, would be I'll be here awesome. through Friday. If you'd like me back, I'd be happy to come back, and we'll talk about something else. <laughs> okay. So I'll only get you this week, and that's it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I you know... If it's I'll just possible to set you up, I'm happy to hook you up. We we can do Skype. We can we can get you in through Skype. You don't I have, have the to technology, be at- even though I'm on the information cul-de-sac. I still have technology. I think you do, you probably you know more about technology than than we do. I guarantee <laughs> it. So, uh, guys, great interview. I know you, uh, Leadheads, are going to enjoy this. Commander Coulter, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, we're going to get you set up with a shirt over here, and uh, make sure you take one to Jeff and your other little lead heads as well. Okay. Appreciate so they, it. So they don't forget that. Uh, lead heads, we're going to be back with more from the 2019 SHOT Show here at the official lead quarters, Buck Knives. All right, guys, that was an awesome interview with Commander Tom Coulter. Uh, we got more coming from him. He actually loosened up and, and warmed up to us and, and did another interview where we talk about the history of the Buckmaster Knives. So that's going to be coming up uh, with Richard Nyman, who's the author uh, of the book. He actually wrote the book on the history of the Buckmaster Knife. So that is that's coming up. So joining me now, we've got Rob Pincus. Uh, you heard us earlier talking about the PD-10, and he gave us an update on that. And uh, Rob and I have an awesome announcement that we want to hit you guys with. Uh, and this came to us from a leadhead. This was a suggestion from Jerry Black. He had sent us an email a while back uh, wanting to do some classes with Rob. And he's like, hey, why don't you guys offer a, a leadhead-centric course? So, of course, Rob, being the stand-up guy that he is, contacted me and said, hey, let's do this, guys. So without further ado, Rob and I are going to make the announcement that we have special lead head courses. Actually, they're courses that you do already, but we're giving the lead heads a discount for being super awesome supporters of Talking Lead and Rob Pincus and ICE training. So, Rob, hit them with uh, with what we're yeah, offering. We've got a, a special package for the, the lead heads uh, in our live, and I know we're probably going to do another couple lives. So we'll make sure that the leadheads know what the magic code is when they get ready to sign up for that class. Or we'll find out who you are and we will stalk your social media to make sure that you actually watch all the pod or listen to all the podcasts and share them and uh, share all the news going on about the collaboration between the Personal Defense Network Training Tour, ICE Training Company, the Intuitive Defensive Shooting Program, and Talking Lead. Um, so we got a special package. There's going to be one class in Tennessee right there. That's the one that you're, I know, going to be at for sure. Yes, sir. So we've got another one going on in California later in the year. So I think the one in Tennessee is April of, I think it's like, what is it, the 16th, 17th, or 6th and 7th? Something that like that. Is, that is going to be, and I've got your, I'm, I'm at ICE Train. This is where you guys can go and get all the courses. But these yeah, are. I don't have my calendar in front of me. Right. You're outside in nature enjoying the Florida range time. We hear the guns back there in the background. Yep. Yep. Um, really think it's, it's April, like something. Fully in nature, the 6th and 7th. And then we've got a class in July 
we've got a class going on that is uh, when is it in July? It'll be third week in July, or and it's down in Southern California, I believe. Because I'll be in Central California just before that. And both of those classes are going to be standard uh, IDS classes. That's our two-day defensive pistol class. It's our, our fundamental core class for me at IC Training Company and for Personal Defense Network. And uh, I appreciate the work that your guys did to work with my office to get those courses scheduled because both of the venues are new venues for us. And that's always a big part of the Personal Defense Network training tour uh, is going to new venues. And obviously, we like to get new people out to the classes. And I, I already know, I saw on social media, there's a couple of leadheads that know each other like from the comment sections and maybe from your shout outs during during uh, talking lead stuff mm-hmm. uh they're actually looking forward to actually meeting in person at the nashville class so that's pretty cool yeah um, that, so I'm looking again that's it. april 6th through the 7th i found it it's the intuitive defense it, shooting and, and it's at royal range usa and a big thanks to art over at royal range for making this happen as well yep yep i was just talking to him on email the other day so we're all good there and, uh, and I, like I said, I'm excited about it. it and we'll, we'll have a special package for all the lead heads that are coming out. And uh, everybody's going to get good training, as always, on the PDN tour. But it's always great when we team up with, you know, good friend like you and, and a, a good friend of the industry like Talking Lead. Well, we appreciate that. And I know the lead heads are going to really enjoy this. And uh, your, your schedule's full for this year. Um, yep. But this is something that we would like to expand. So if you lead heads would like to have a class near you, uh, maybe that's not on this calendar already. Get in touch with me, and we'll try to work with Rob on putting something together. But, I mean, you're all over the place, so there's got to be one that, that you leadheads can find that's near you. I mean, you're in California, you're in Florida, you're in Georgia, Tennessee, you're in Pennsylvania, you're in Washington, Ohio. We got Mississippi. I know, like, if you were going to – I think right now on the calendar, maybe like that kind of the midsection, uh, if you look at Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, that <laughs> – the only places we're not hitting hitting this year and we might actually be adding a class in missouri because somebody hit me up at shot show and, and was a little bit um insistent that we come down there to uh, okay missouri and i think we're going to work that out as well because uh, one of our, our great sponsors for the tour uh, cross street holsters is down there and uh so we're looking forward to doing that you know you mentioned one of your sponsors that i'm kind of excited about a couple new products they have uh uh-huh. right optics with that uh, those magnified optics they've added to their line that i saw at shot show uh-huh. those I am pretty excited about getting my hands on on one of those. They're, they're some high quality pieces, I think, right? And that's why we got to take them out to the range, beat them up a little bit, and uh, at the price point they're offering them. I, I'm, well, I can I'm go ahead and verify them for you. You don't need to test them. Just go ahead and run them because they're awesome. You're gonna love them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. So, right on optics, you guys check them out. Rightonoptics.com, the official optics, Rob, of talking lead. So, thank you for for that plug. Um, and when, speaking of, we've got uh, optics 101 class that we do with them. And we got another one coming up, and they're going to have some of their their brand ambassadors on with us uh, to talk about how they're using their optics. So that's cool. something to look forward to. So very cool, guys. Uh, go go to icetraining.us. Check out the calendar. Sign up for a class, uh, whether it's the Nashville class or the uh, Palo California class, July seventeenth through the eighteenth. Let them know you're leadhead. And Rob will definitely give you a little little extra special care uh, during those classes. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on, as always, buddy. Uh, Good talking to you. I appreciate you letting me share the news earlier in the show. And that interview you guys did was great. Uh, I'm looking forward to the second part of that as well from the commander. Very cool, buddy. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch soon. Yeah, man. Stay tuned. So, all right, Leadheads. Good stuff there from Rob. And ICE Training teaming up with us in Royal Range there in Nashville. 
in the Palace Shooting Range out there in California. You guys have any questions about those courses? Give me a shoot me an email, talkinglet@gmail.com. Uh, be happy to uh, to answer any questions that you guys have. Uh, but like I said, when you sign up for those courses, let them know you're a leadhead. We don't have the discount code set up yet. Don't know exactly uh, what that's going to be, but it's coming. We'll let you know as soon as we have it all figured out. Uh, we're also going to be bringing you some other courses from other instructors. Uh, we're working on one with Charlie Melton right now. Uh, he offers a long-range precision shooting course, and he also offers a uh, pistol and carbine course. So uh, That's coming as well, and we'll give you updates when we get that one scheduled. So now it's time for another EDC Pocket Dump Rewards Program giveaway from Talking Lead, Buck Knives, Streamlight, and the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association from our good friend Bill Hampstead. So we're giving away a, a Buck Knife, a Streamlight flashlight, and a Defy Battlefield watch in these packages. But what we're asking you guys to do is go out to your law enforcement, fire department, first responder, EMS, whatever it may be. Go down to their station and just let them know how much you appreciate them and their service to our community. And it's just as simple as saying, hey, appreciate what you're doing. You know, thanks. Keep it up. You know, keep up the great work. If you see them out in public, you know, if you're out at a restaurant, you see them eating, buy them lunch. Say, hey, appreciate everything you guys are doing. Keep up the good work. You know, whatever it may be, just just as simple as that. It doesn't have to be anything big and involved. But uh, we do want you to take a picture, take a selfie, uh, ask them politely. If they refuse, then, you know, that's okay. Uh, I know I, I know several of you have told me that you've been turned down, you know, several times, uh, but you finally got one. So, uh, you know, some of them don't want the, the limelight and they, you know, they want to keep a low profile and that's understandable. Um, so be respectful of them at the same time, but still go out, do that. Take a selfie, post it on Instagram, Facebook, and then tag Talking Lead, tag Streamlight, tag Buck Knives, and tag Fleoa Bill H uh, for the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. And then hashtag all of us as well. And then, and then you also want to use the hashtag EDCPD. And then we're going to do a search on Instagram and Facebook for that for those hashtags. Make sure you've done everything properly. And then pick a winner. And that's what we've done to date. So this week's winner comes to us from Facebook. And I believe it's Idaho. It's the City of Eagle. And Wesley Abshire went down to the local uh, PD department there. And talked to uh, to a lady, to an officer, to Officer Faye, and uh, took a picture with her. And he's got the the Eagle Police uh, logo there in the background. And it just said, decided to stop by the local city of Eagle Police Department to thank them for their service and meet Faye, an officer at the office. Support those who protect us. And he's got all the hashtags and tags in there properly. So good job, Wesley. You are the winner. For I think it's the fourth um, EDCPD reward. So we've only got one more civilian to give away, and then I think we've got three more uh, sheepdog um, to give away. So you, uh, you fire department, LE listeners, first responder listeners, go out and take a picture out in the public and let them know that you guys are out there 
serving and protecting. Do the same tags and hashtags, and you're eligible as well. So we've given two of those away. We've got three more for you sheepdog. And I think think what I want to do is let's go ahead and let's give Faye one also for, for uh, taking part and uh, letting Wesley demonstrate his appreciation. So, Wesley, uh, get us Faye's contact info as well, mailing address, whatever it may be, and uh, we'll send that to Faye. Or what would be really cool is we'll send it to you and you go present it to Faye on behalf of Talking Lead, Streamlight, Buck Knives and the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. Uh, and if she wants to do a social media post with you presenting that to her, that'd be cool. Uh, we'd like to see that. So there you go, guys. We've got one more civilian to give away and then two more pocket dump EDC rewards for our sheepdog. Make sure you go and support those that support the Talking Lead podcast. Right on Optics, the official optics of Talking Lead. R-I-T-O-N optics.com. Modern Spartan Systems. For all your gun cleaning and lubrication needs, go to modernspartansystems.com. Keltec Weapons, makers of innovative firearms. Keltec RDB, RFB, Sub 2000. The list goes on and on and on. Check them out at keltecweapons.com. 1776 United, the official swag provider of Talking Lead. Get your Talking Lead shirts and patches there. And for your and for your evil black assault mugs, the Talking Leddy. You go to dip123.com forward slash talking lead. You get those from our good buddy Danny over at Dipstick Coatings. And of course, for the best, most affordable AR 500 steel targets on the market today, you go to xsteeltargets.com. And a big thanks to Streamlight, Buck Knives, and our buddies over at Cleoa, Bill Hampstead, for setting up the EDC Pocket Cup Rewards program. You guys, take part in that. Close us out, Commander. And as always, Leadheads, keep your loved ones close and keep your edged weapons and your firearms closer. This is Commander Tom Coulter.